Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. We're back again as we journey together, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the whole Bible. Now if you're joining us here for the first time, maybe you've just been looking and searching online for some information about Genesis chapter 46, why not make a decision today to join us for this entire journey through the whole Bible? You can do that to go right back to the start and play catch up for a while. Season 1 was an overview, 66 short episodes covering the first 66 books of our Bible. Uh, they're only about 6 or 8 minutes long though, so it won't take that long to go through them. Before we launched off on Season 2, the main, the main event so to speak, when we uh, launched off on our study of the book of Genesis. And we're going to continue doing this until we've worked through the entire Bible. So why not play catch up for a while? and then make part, make the studying of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. A quick reminder, uh, it's worth noting that if you're here for the first time, there's always a transcript of each and every one of these podcasts contained within the episode notes of any audio version of the podcast. So providing you're listening to the audio version, doesn't matter which platform you're receiving it on, you go into the episode notes you'll not only find a transcript of what I've said but there will also be links to way the ways that you can connect to and even support this ministry if you want to but anyway that's it for today we'll jump into the main text beginning this new chapter today and I'll just see you at the end hopefully to update you and say bye-bye so bye-bye for now some decisions in life are simple relatively simple anyway For example, the menu contains your favourite meal. That's a simple decision. Or perhaps you're offered the dream job, the one you really wanted. Simple decision to accept it. The person you're in love with asks you to marry them. Even that can be a simple decision, providing certain caveats are in place. I know for me, it was a very simple decision. 30 odd years ago, when I met the lady that was right for me, it was a very straightforward decision for me to ask her to marry me. But some decisions in life are much more complicated than that. And I would suggest the reason decisions become complicated is because they contain conflicts. I had a friend once when I was very young. She was 16 years old and two twin brothers asked her to go on a date with her to the movies. In the end, she decided to go with neither and I can't say I blame her. But I've known people in the past and I had this situation about 35 years ago where I was offered two jobs and I had to really ruminate for a while before deciding which one to take. So as I say, some decisions in life can become more complicated and generally the more complicated they become the more important they are. Just as an aside, I don't know how many times I've had someone tell me that they're having a hard time finding a job and then when they've actually made the decision to sit down and pray about it, they've had two offers come along of two jobs and they've maybe had a little bit of conflict about deciding which one to take. I've come across that scenario several times in my life. Well, in the Bible today, we're starting a new chapter in Genesis chapter 46. We're going to be staying a couple of days in this chapter working through it because at this point in the Bible, we're hearing the story of this man called Jacob, the father of Joseph, someone who've been following along for quite a long time now, and he's facing 
this kind of a situation, he's got an important decision to make. And at the time when these events occur, he's living in the land called Canaan. You see, on one hand, he had had an invitation to move with his sons and his family and his extended family and move to Egypt. But on the other hand, he knew that Canaan was the land that God had promised, not just him, but Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father, before him. And he had also lived in Canaan for many years. And he was uncomfortable with the thought of leaving it because that was the land that he believed God had given to him and his descendants. So on one hand he was conflicted, namely because there was famine in that land and he couldn't stay there, or at least if he did stay there, there was the distinct possibility that he and his family would starve to death. But on the other hand, there was this offer of food and security from his son in Egypt. So clearly he has a decision to make. What should he do? Particularly, what should he do considering he knew it was the will of God in the long term for him and his descendants to inherit this land of Canaan where he was currently living? God was certainly able to end the famine in Canaan if it was his will, if it was the will of God to do that. But for him to go to Egypt and to escape the famine and to be united with his son, that also had hit its promise. And also he could see how God's will could play out in that. So should he leave this land, the land that God had promised his forefathers, and take him and all his extended family, all his descendants, and go to Egypt? So herein lies the heart of the matter. What decision should he make, and on what basis should he make that decision? Well, I think if we see what he decided to do, and what reasoning he had behind it when he decided to do it, well, it might help us, it might even influence us in some decisions we have to make in the future. If we understand this passage properly, I can believe it can help us solve some of the tensions for us when it comes to our decision making. It can help us to have an insight into the basis of correct decision making, no less than that. You know, I wish I'd known what this passage taught when I was younger, before I made some of the decisions that I made as a young man. So let's talk about decision making and we're going to talk about it by looking at Jacob and considering the decision he had to make is whether he should stay or not, whether he should go or not and leave the land of Canaan. So let's begin by turning to Genesis chapter 46 and I'll just read the opening verse 1 for you. So Israel, as you'll remember that's the other name, the new name given for Jacob, so Israel took his family and journeyed with all he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now we'll pause right away there and just hold on a minute because I need, I feel I need to give you some background, particularly if you've just arrived at this point today for the first time. I've just referred to the fact that there was famine going on. And as you will recall from the previous chapters that if you looked at, if you've been journeying with us through the Bible, one of his sons, Joseph, many years previously, well over 20 years ago, had been sold into slavery and he'd ended up in this land of Egypt and he was based there for a number of years, long before the famine actually took place. But when the famine took place and spread, 
into the whole region, including Cana, where Jacob was based, Jacob sent his sons, all his remaining sons, down to Egypt to buy food. Now you see, after a series of events, and miraculous events, and God working providentially, they discovered this that Joseph, their brother, was now Prime Minister or Vice President of Egypt. So Joseph had sent his brothers back to Canaan and said to them, he revealed himself to them, but he sent his brothers back to Canaan after a long convoluted series of events. He reveals himself as their brother, the one that they thought had died many years ago, and tells him to tell their father, Jacob, stroke Israel, to come back to Egypt. He tells them this, and he also tells them he's able to take care of this because uh, following a series of miraculous events, he's actually been put in charge of storing up all the food in the administration of the situation in anticipation of this famine that's coming because it was Joseph who was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh that predicted the famine was coming. So what this verse is telling us is now that Jacob has decided at this point, yeah, it's right to go to Egypt. So he packs up everything and he starts heading towards Egypt. And that's what verse 1 tells us. But it also tells us he arrives in Beersheba. So we're right at the southern tip of the promised land. So at this point he's still in the original promised land. The land that the God had promised him and his descendants. But clearly he's made a decision to go into Egypt. He's just about to cross over into Egypt where he pauses and makes a sacrifice. Now, this is the point where I need to ask, on what basis did he make that decision to move, to initially pick up sticks and head towards Egypt? Now, we have to declare that there's nothing in the text which tells us that God revealed to him up to this point that he should go to Egypt, or that he had any way of knowing at that point discerning exactly what the will of God is. But he just picked up his stuff at Hebron and he starts to head towards Egypt. And he got to this point right on the tip of Canaan just before entering Egypt. So I hope you don't think I'm reading between the lines. But I think up to this point, I think he's just operating on common sense. I would like to say he makes this decision based on the common sense reality of the situation that he and his family are facing. Frankly, there probably wasn't a whole lot else he could do. As I said, the famine was in the land and it was getting more and more severe. And if he had chosen to stay in Canaan, then he would have faced extreme hunger and the possible starvation and extermination of his entire family. And of course, the other issue is he had not seen his son Joseph, his beloved son, in many years. And now he was being told that he simply had to travel down to Egypt and he would be able to be reunited with his son Joseph there. So I'd say, based on simply common sense, he packs up and goes to Beersheba. But look again at verse 1. You see, in a sense, he's practically responding to the reality of the situation he and his family find themselves in. But he's trusting that God will act providentially in the everyday and will reveal his will to him. But it also tells us that when he gets to this point at Beersheba, he offers sacrifices, sacrifices to the God of his father, the God of his father, Isaac. Now, I think it's interesting 
Because if I'm correct, he simply made the decision because he believed it was the right thing to do. It was common sense. But clearly by pausing at this point and offering a sacrifice, he still had not left behind his commitment to the Lord. In fact, we will see as he gets later and later into life, that commitment to the Lord becomes even deeper. But at Beersheba, he offers sacrifices to the Lord. In other words, it's showing, yes, he's operating in common sense, but he's clearly what he's doing, he's not leaving God out of it. He's clearly not doing something that is contrary to the Lord's will, and he's not doing anything that suggests he's dropping away from his commitment to serve the Lord. You see, in the Old Testament, the offering of sacrifices was an indication of someone's relationship to the Lord. It was a, a real temperature test of their commitment to the Lord. So even though there's not been any revelation, if you like, disclosed directly at this point that he should go to Egypt, he's doing so based on necessity, which I'm calling common sense. Yet, very clearly, he's no evidence that this is contrary to the will of God. And that's why when he gets to Beersheba, he sacrifices there. Then verse 2 tells us, And God spoke to Israel, and that's Jacob, in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. So having initially decided without directly hearing from the Lord, he sets off, but in the middle of the trip at this pause, just before he enters the land of Egypt, he does hear from him. And the Lord appears to him and says, don't be afraid to go to Egypt, for this is according to my will. I have no doubt if the Lord had said to him, turn back and remain in Canaan, he would have done that. But here he's being told, don't be afraid to go to Egypt, for this is according to my will. Now, I don't think he knew what the will of God is before he got there. And at this point, he set up and made a sacrifice because there's no indication in the text that he had any sort of uh, vision or message from the Lord before that. So he makes a decision based on practical reality. And during the trip, God later confirms it. The text continues. Then Jacob left Persheba. And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the cart that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and their possessions that they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. So I believe in all that's going on here, we're simply seeing that God is confirming that this is where he wants them to go. Look at verse 3 at the end which said, Remember God said, I will make you a great nation there. Now that's interesting. Why is God going to take Jacob to Egypt to make him a great nation? Why didn't he just leave him and let him do that in Canaan? Well, if you look at the book of Genesis carefully and some of the passages we've covered previously, you will recall that it told us that some of his sons intermarried with Canaanite women. Now, the reason I believe God allowed them now to go to Egypt, or part of the reason, was 
there would be no way that Egyptians would normally intermarry with outsiders. You see, a lot of the Canaanite customs were in fact abomination to the Egyptians. We were told that a few chapters ago. So by going to Egypt, God's plan to make a great nation of Israel in Egypt would come about without there being any or very limited intermarriage between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Anything that might dilute this family line of Israel any further. You see, there was such rampant idolatry in Egypt, it's likely that they wouldn't want to, or the Israelites wouldn't want to, or wouldn't even be allowed to enter into Egyptian society anyway. Therefore, it was much less likely that as a nation they would depart from the Lord while they stayed there. In a sense, they would sort of, although living there, sojourning there, they would, to a great degree, live in isolation as a people. And we'll see in a minute they will further be isolated down in Goshen. Now, Goshen was a, a, a great area to be and was fertile, but the Egyptians, by sending them down there, means that they would, in a sense, remain isolated from Egyptian culture, isolated socially, and therefore there would be very limited opportunity for them to intermarry. And also, by nature, it means there would be very limited, or in fact no, involvement in Egyptian idolatry. So I believe through all of these events, God is saying, it's okay, take all of your extended family and all of your possessions and go to Egypt. Now what happens in the next part of this passage is nothing more than a long list of names. Now it starts in verse 8 and goes all the way through to verse 27. And we are given the names of all those people who went down with Jacob into Egypt. Now, I'm not exactly sure what to do with this very long passage of Scripture, because to read it will only identify the people by name. I'm not sure that's very profitable, frankly. But I think what I'd like to do is just give you a basic analysis of what this long stretch of verses, this list of names, tells us. So I'm not going to read it as I normally do from verses 8 to 27, but this text within these verses that I'm covering in this next section, although I'm not going to read it, they're going to be included in their entirety in the podcast episode notes. So you can go and see them there, or of course you could look at them on your Bible. And that would be helpful as I quickly explain what is meant and what is covered in those, uh, those what is it, 19 verses. So they're broken into parts. So, for example, in the first part, which is verses 8 to 15, we are given the children and the grandchildren of Rachel's wife, Leah. These are the sons of Leah. There are 15 names of grandsons of Leah. So in verses 16 to 18, we're given the sons of Zilpha, Jacob's second wife, and the servant whom Laban, who was Rachel, the wife Rachel's father, gave to Leah his daughter and his niece. So Jacob also marries her and she bears 16 children to Jacob. Now, if you recall the story, when Jacob fled because his brother Esau threatened to kill him, he ended up with two, if you like, normal wives, sisters. But he also took as concubines the two maids of the two initial wives. And the passage is telling us that Leah had loads of children and Zilpha had loads of children. The text says that Leah had 33 in total. Wow. And that Zilpha had 16. 
Then, okay, in verses 17 to 22, we are told about the sons of Rachel. So the sons of Rachel are given in verses 17 to 22, and we're told that she had 14 in all. And then there's one more category in verse 23 to 25, where we're given the story of Bilhah, who was Rachel's maid, who Jacob took as a concubine, and if you recall, uh, he had children by her. So in essence, Jacob has four wives, and each of them have plenty of children. And within this little section, it's telling us that the whole tribe is going down to Egypt, and it's listing that whole group of people by their mothers, by the woman who gave them birth. So Leah has 33. Zilpha, Leah's maid, has 16. Rachel has 14. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, has 7. And if you add that all up, it says all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 in total. Now I'm bringing this up for a, uh, a simple reason. That is, if you talk to people about the Lord in the Bible, there are some people who will go online and they'll search for contradictions in the Bible and some people will come back to you and point this out as a contradiction. The close of this passage says that 70 people went into Egypt and there's another passage elsewhere that says there were in fact 75 that went into Egypt. Now what do we have to say about that? Well, there is an answer to that and I'd like to talk about that next time. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I really hope you're benefiting and enjoying working together through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Tomorrow we'll try and finish off this Genesis chapter 46. But you know what? There are tens of thousands of people now on this journey doing the audio version of this podcast. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you for making the commitment to do that. It's so encouraging for me, knowing that the, the work that I'm putting into this is reaching and touching many lives. Now, we're approaching the end of season two, which has been the book of Genesis, and we'll be launching off in season three, probably in about two months time. But I'll just let you know that we won't be going into Exodus. I've made the decision that we're going to go back and forward alternatively between the Old and New Testament. I think that's important and I'm really going to enjoy doing that because it means that immediately we're going to get to be able to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry and eventually his death and his resurrection and what that means. So that's wonderful that we're going to be able to do that together over these next weeks, months and Lord willing years. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you but what is important would be is that if you are enjoying and appreciating this, then why not consider liking it or sharing links to it on your social media accounts. We know we're having the benefit of the Word of God, but why not encourage and give other people the opportunity to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of their daily lives. It's a wonderful thing to do and it's a wonderful thing to be part of. Quick reminder, of course, that if you're listening to the audio version, which is the main thing, you will find links there in the episode notes to ways in which you can access all my teaching across many mediums. Not just the, the, the podcast itself, 
but uh, things are some stuff on my Facebook page, my YouTube channel particularly, and of course some plans for some discipleship courses which will be appearing soon on places like LinkedIn, the Patreon page where you can become a supporter, a practical supporter of the ministry, and some other places. So just have a have a look within the uh, in the episode notes for some of the links there. I'm sure you'll find something helpful. But other than that, that's it for today. We'll sign off now, and I do hope to see you back here tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow for me. It'll be whatever day you happen to get that little pop-up reminder from your podcatcher telling you to uh, to keep to keep pressing forward on this journey together, chapter verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. But for now, bye bye, and I hope to see you back here again very soon. Bye-bye for now.